Let's, uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we are very grateful for your goodness to us. We're grateful for the message you laid out over centuries to your prophets, all the way down through your apostles, pointing at your son. We'd ask that you'd be blessed in it, in your son's name. Amen. Isaiah 28. Um, I have as a little first note there, it's as strange and alien is this Christianity. Those are terms used uh, intentionally, strange and alien. Um, there's a degree of, there, there, there's a couple kinds of people. There are people who like their religion just like every good religion is supposed to be. And then there's the people who want something wacky. Okay? Now, a lot of the people who want something wacky, most of them, are wrong, and they end up just kind of loopy, wearing funny clothes, uh, following some strange teacher. But the true faith will be with the strange and the wacky. You might say it will. You say content-wise, it may be with the the pure or the orthodox, but it won't in kind be. I want you to see how that works in this passage. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. That sounds like a like an advertising line in a commercial for Israel in the 800s or 700s BC. Come to Israel, where the is a diadem of beauty for the Middle East. It's a gateway to Egypt. Uh, it's a spirit of justice in our judicial system and a, and uh, in our military we have uh, strength and honorable young men. Semper Fi. Because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a really good thing, but there's something in the tone of voice. Now you might be say, Evan, how can you tell the tone of voice? It was in Hebrew. It's been translated to English. Well, the tone of voice is given you in the next line. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. This wonderful place called Israel, which has the, the purity of religion in the ancient world, the temple of the living God, a priesthood called out from the tribe of Levi, the histories, the glory, a diadem of beauty, and they also stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are confused with wine. They stagger with strong drink. Why does he keep saying strong drink? He wants you to get the point. They err in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are, this gets a little bit unseemly, all tables are full of vomit. No place is without filthiness. Oh, something's, something just happened in this picture. I got, I got blindsided. I was given the diadem of beauty, the crown of glory, spirit of justice, strength in the gate, drunken personal filth, 
orthodox and disgusting. Now, I'm sure all of you have struggled. Now, I trust that most of us are pretty orthodox. We believe in the doctrines of the faith that many other people in many churches believe. It's not the crime of orthodoxy, it's the crime of making it orthodox. Because something can stand there where you could legitimately say, and I don't know if you've ever studied church history, there are two kinds of church histories. One is, oh, just all these amazing people. You know, auras sticking around from their head, standing there in very, I mean, I was an art major, so I, I always loved the paintings of the apostles, and they, they have these great robes. They always look very wise. They have these, you can, you can use, do the position, and, and always look a little uh, tender and confused and, and bearded. I like Durier's The Four, Apostles, the Four Gospel Writers, so it's a very nice, and sidetrack there. We, we know, and, and I've mentioned this before, that C.S. Lewis once said that he'd like to write a book of all of the sins that the Christian church had committed against the rest of the world. Sort of making it right. You know, just saying, sorry, we've been pretty bad. Because other people will look at the infighting, the almost poisoning, burning other Christians at the stake, going to war with another group of people that you thought were actually Christians. You didn't even think they were heretics. They were just, they had a different view of church government. I mean, that's what England went through in the religious wars in the 1600s. It was over church government, shooting cannons at each other. The crown of glory, the, the Christianity, or in this case, Judaism, it's the crown of glory, diadem of beauty. It's the temple of the living God. It's the true priesthood. And then you pick up the edge of the tablecloth or the edge of the rug and you look under it and you see drunken priests and prophets, vomit and filthiness. And you've known that, you've seen that. Sometimes you're really disappointed in some leading Christian who is doing so much for the kingdom of God and you maybe agreed with him more than anyone else that you'd ever heard and he runs off with the organist and the organist was a dude okay you know that happens or some great financial scandal or power mad or just something you start to feel a little the, the words like vomit do not communicate probably even in Hebrew, pleasantness. Verse 9, whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast? For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. That's what, that's what he's saying, that's what their religion had become. The diadem of beauty, yes. The crown of glory, yes. But it was communicated, communicated in these, you might say, bite-sized, memorable sayings. Somebody has been posting the, one of the catechisms online, so it comes up on my Facebook feed. 
And I just can't stand it. And it says wonderful things. It says wonderful things I agree with. I can't stand it. Because it has become line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. So what is this strange and alien business that Evan keeps uh, started this off with? It's, it's one thing, yeah, we got this thing that the orthodox can be a mess. But he actually comes back and says, nay, verse 11, by men of strange lips and with an alien tongue, the Lord will speak to this people to whom he has said, this is rest, give rest to the weary, this is repose, yet they would not hear. God's going to come at, God's saying he's going to come at Israel in a certain, from a certain angle. I'm going to speak to them in a different language. Now what's interesting for us as Christians is this is the passage quoted in Corinthians 14 where it says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, but babes in evil, but in thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Quoting Isaiah 28. About the gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. That's in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, on the use of the spiritual gifts. A lot of people are confused by that passage in Corinthians 14. So confused. I don't know if you pay attention to Bible study. Um, not Bible study. Let's hope you do. But uh, Bible translations. Um, there was a paraphrase long before Ken Taylor did the Living Bible. J.B. Phillips did a paraphrase of the scriptures. And J.B. Phillips had such a problem with Corinthians 14 that he switched it. He said, this can't be right and made it, fixed it. He admits it in a footnote, but he fixed it. Because it seems to be, I won't go into why, but if you understand what Isaiah is saying and how Paul is quoting Isaiah here, it says, this is going to be a sign to the unbeliever and they will say you are mad. Most people think that the sign is to convince people but the sign is, this is given to them that they would not be convinced. It will promise us peace. God is going to come through strange tongues, speaking of peace, speaking of repose, and they won't listen. They won't pick it up. Therefore, the word of the Lord will be to them, and this is this is how orthodoxy becomes um, disgusting. Precept upon precept, precept upon precept. That's what you have to do. Because if nobody desires peace, if nobody's hearing the word of the Lord as it was sent to them, and they're shutting it off, they will not hear, and you still want your kids to be religious, you're going to get the, the most orthodox catechism you can, and you're going to have those little sacks of sin memorizing. Precept upon precept. You say, well, it sounds like, well, some of you are going, I, I kind of like precept upon precept. If you could have little kids that would chant back the right answer. What's two plus two? Four, sir. 
What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, sir. Line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Listen to the promise that comes with that. Because they won't listen to what God sends to them in an obscure sort of way, a strange tongue and a foreign people, something they won't understand. Because they won't listen to that, it becomes this, and this not only produces no spirituality, where the whole place is full of vomit because of the drunkenness, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. It's not a positive promise. But he's announcing some, this whole section of Isaiah is great for this. You'll, you'll read through it and you get all these great images that are coming in the, in the Messiah. But there's a lot of it that the Jews must have really struggled over. They had a real hard time with the wonderful God, uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God uh, thing earlier in Isaiah. They just don't know how to handle it. Something is coming at them that their right diadem of beauty and crown of glory, religion, they couldn't pick up what was coming at them. And so since they did not listen to the word of God as it was coming at them, it had to become orthodox, tidy, and patterned. And that kind of orthodox, tidy, and pattern does not change the soul, does not pick up the peace and repose and the rest that God has offered. Therefore, verse 14, Hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. He who believes will not be in haste. It's not a real clear that we will not be in haste. The word also means anxious, will not be made anxious. He who believes will not be anxious. And there's a reason for this. He says, you're not listening. You've replaced hearing and believing with rote memory. And you've got its system worked out. Whatever this covenant with death and shale is, they think they've got it worked out where the things that happen to them will not bother them. They're, they're realistic about it. And they, 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 they think they've dodged the bullet. And so the Lord says, I'm about something else. I'm laying a foundation, a cornerstone. And if you believe, you will not be anxious. And listen to how he describes this. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plummet. If you've ever done any kind of using a plummet and a line, finding a dead center, not dead center, the... The, the verticality of something, getting it completely straight up and down. Justice and righteousness. Is the element 
that decides how this precious cornerstone is laid. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning it will pass through, by day and by night. And listen to this last line. And it will be sheer terror to understand the message. There's an element of terror in understanding what destruction was coming on uh, Judah. This is, again, Isaiah's time, so he's prophesying during the reign of Hezekiah, 700s. Israel has been taken off into captivity, um, and uh, Judah is left, and it's not much longer. Uh, late, it's the late 700s, another 100 years, and all of Judah is off in Babylon, uh, under the Babylonians. Destruction, I mean absolute destruction of Jerusalem. That could be, if you understood the message, it might be terrifying to, to face. But there's also the terror to understand this message. One of the hardest things to still explain, even to Christians, is the wonder of the righteousness of our faith, the natural righteousness of Christianity, natural righteousness of Christianity. Not line-on-line righteousness, not guilt manipulation righteousness, righteousness that comes out of you because this is the way you are, because of faith. It's a strange and alien approach to righteousness, but Jesus Christ, or God, is laying a cornerstone that's, that's measurements is by justice and righteousness. It's a terror to, and a very uncomfortable situation to have a religion, a Christianity, that echoes a lot of the things that all these filthy, vomiting Sinners were echoing and chanting back at you together with you and saying yay for Judaism and yay for early Christianity and yay for even though a lot of bad people said well the bad people did something to your religion. They kept it from being a message of faith to the righteousness of God. I mean that's what Paul covers in Ephesians that the mystery hidden for ages was righteousness through faith for the Gentiles as well as for the Jew. Verse 20, For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on it, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in it. That's almost a brilliant, that's almost a brilliant description of, of how, how he's like to spend a night like that, where you're sleeping on a bed that's just a little too short and you've got to cramp up to be on it, and you can't wrap up in the blanket. No matter what, the little portion of your back will still have a breeze blowing on it. Maybe that's not terrifying to you. Maybe when you get old it's more terrifying. To understand the message is terror and it's a, the stuff of bad dreams. It's, it's, um, it's very different because it doesn't take long in Christianity for good, believing, orthodox, true doctrines that could claim on their brochure to be the diadem of beauty in the Christian sense. 
the crown of glory in the Christian sense. A long and faithful history of storied preachers who do this, that, and the other thing. It doesn't take long for that to become disgusting. Because it stops measuring what God is about. God is not about you getting the storyline right. God is about you becoming righteous and you becoming part of his righteousness. For the Lord will raise up as on Mount Perizim and he will be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon to do his deed. This is where I got the words. Strange is his deed and to work his work. Alien is his work. Now therefore do not scoff lest your bonds be made strong for I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts upon the whole land. God was doing something. He was going to destroy Judah. He was going to destroy Israel. He was going to destroy the temple. He was going to destroy the priesthood. But he was laying a cornerstone in Zion that righteousness was the plummet. He was doing something real religiously with Judah, messaging it to us in Isaiah, 700 and some odd years before Jesus Christ. And the destruction was coming on what he didn't like. It was going to be a payout that they would be terrified to hear about. And in some ways, I think, terrified to hear what God had laid as a true temple in his true preparation. Now, why am I saying this? Why did I look up Isaiah 28 was I, uh, on an Isaiah kick lately? Well, as I was looking at Romans 9, here at the bottom, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, righteousness through faith. But that Israel, who pursued righteousness, which is based on law, did not succeed in fulfilling that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it through faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Isaiah 28, they have Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone that will make men stumble, a rock that will make them fall, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. Paul has combined that passage out of Isaiah 8 and the Isaiah uh, 28 passage. And that's in a sense why they're not identical, but he's, he's conflated the two thoughts into one. But he's referring to Isaiah 28, where God says, you know, you had it all, you have all the true stuff. You're, you're the Orthodox and you're still disgusted. You're still drunk and vomiting. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay a, I'm gonna lay the foundation of a priesthood and a temple that is based on righteousness, and the righteousness will be based on faith. No one who believes in him will be put to shame. The Jews did not like Christianity being preached. Many of them had a very hard time with the Gentiles allowed to become Christians. They thought they had to become Jews first. Because we're the right people, we're right. And so you have to join us, and then you get to be Christians. 
And Paul was saying, no, they don't need any of the law. The law did not get you to righteousness. So what does he notice there at the beginning verses out of Romans 9? Even not pursuing the righteousness, they got it. But righteousness was what you need to get. You don't celebrate righteousness. You have to be righteous. In, in um, what's the passage? John, 1 John somewhere, 5, somewhere about that. Better not misquote it. First John. He who does right is righteous as he is righteous. You have to do righteousness. And the law could not produce it. The chanting back the doctrines of the faith can't produce it. People who do not listen to the strange message that Christianity is, that it is no longer a religion of priests and sacrifices and rules and the like. It is the message of faith unto righteousness. Not faith just because, hey, we don't have to do anything this religion says, I just get to believe in it. No, because it is faith unto righteousness. Even if you weren't pursuing righteousness, it pursues you who have not pursued righteousness, have attained it. That is, righteousness through faith. Because righteousness is the plummet of the thing that God laid in Zion as a cornerstone. And he's letting you know something. Not only is he building Christianity as it's supposed to be, but he's letting you know there's a category of people who fall down over it, who trip on it. A stumbling block. A rock that will make them fall. It has to be about righteousness. And a righteousness that is attainable through faith. So, righteousness is pretty easy to measure. Have you ever measured, I wonder how much faith I have. Well, you don't try to measure the faith uh, what we get, reservoir. Say you have a a reservoir somewhere, a dipstick, you could run down there. How much do I believe? I don't know, it looks like about a 9 out of 10. We don't have any way of measuring our faith. But in here, you say, look at the righteousness of the person and the kind of righteousness. Is it rule-abiding righteousness? You kept all the rules of All Souls Christian Church, whatever those are, both of them. Don't talk at buffet lines. What's the other one? I think that might be it, actually. There's one rule. Women don't talk in buffet lines. That's sort of not a rule. I don't have to abide. I naturally don't ever let it get shorter. Um, we can have all sorts of different church services. <laughs> But what we're about in Christianity is a strange and alien thought in all religion, and that is that faith alone, in Christ's death alone, will produce the righteousness in you. If you do not have the righteousness in you, if you are not eager to find the righteousness in you, if you're not thankful for the forgiveness of the sins that in interfered with the righteousness in you, in other words, this whole package by faith 
you're going to, if you still want to be religious, you're going to go over to find a Christianity that has got everything lockstep and ordered and, and you can hand out little plans of salvation and plans of, of this, that, and the other thing. Righteousness is what we are called to. The Jews thought they were too, but they couldn't do it through the law, and you won't be able to do it through the law either. It is about your faith. How much do you believe? When it says what it defines faith in Hebrews as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, that's what you're saying your righteousness represents whether or not you believe that. You believe the things that you hope for. You believe the things that you haven't seen to that degree. Brethren, I go a little bit into chapter 10 here. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but it is not enlightened. The path of enlightenment for the Jew was they had all the orthodoxy, they had all of the history, they had the oracles of God, the priesthood, the diadem of beauty, and yet they had disgusting lives. Because they weren't enlightened by the strange and alien, maybe even terrifying thing that was righteousness through faith. Which is really annoying to somebody who wants it to be genetic because that means some Scythian can believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. Or, God forbid, an Irishman. They're not enlightened. 4, verse 3, being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God, look at this line here, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. This is how he's describing Ephesians, uh, Isaiah 28. People that take religion on as if it's their task to establish these things protect this orthodoxy, protect this, this, that, and the other. I don't have to protect anything. God protects his world just fine. We become ignorant of a righteousness that comes from God. Righteousness must come. You can't, can't say, well, I believe in righteousness coming from God, and I still am as drunk as the priests. You only get to say, I believe in the righteousness that comes from God, if righteousness came from God and touched your life because of your faith. But it's this whole question of seeking to establish your own, not submitting to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, that everyone who has faith may be justified. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the word justified in the scripture is the word righteousness. And so I don't know why they suddenly, after talking righteousness, 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 they then say justified. It is made righteous. You are given righteousness by faith. That's what this passage is about. Some of it imputed to you because of the death of Christ and he atones for it. And the rest is you are made righteous in your life. You become a existent good person. Because love is what you're given from God. And love fulfills the law and does not wrong its neighbor. And you become righteous because God made you loving. But it's the end of the law. And that's the problem with our faith, is we have a hard time giving up what we want to do. 
And even those of us who want to be religious, we want to do our religion like God wants. You know, not like God wants, but like we want our religion to be. Are we ready by our faith in him to submit to what comes from him? Submit to the ideas? Because at some point it becomes a question of whether you're going to follow you or you're going to follow God. That's what faith is, right? You believed, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Didn't believe in God, he believed God. So that when God describes something being a certain way, you had better accept it. Because if you do not accept it, you are saying the way I think, and if you ever give an orthodox answer to the, for the reason why you don't accept what the scriptures say, God thinks. You've just said, no, 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 I've got to refer back to my precept on precept. I've got to refer back to my rules here that come down from the diadem of beauty. I'm protecting something sacred. And the real Christian says, no, you're just not understanding the alien tongue that's coming at you, the strangeness. And it may be terrifying, but... It's a question of whether you submit, whether you bow the knee. Do you believe he is Lord of all and you are not? At that point, we can hide our belief in ourselves in the religion we ourselves create. It's just a hidey hole for self, um, self-planning, getting everything to go your way. It's good for you to have moments in the scripture when you go, I don't know how to handle that. And it's not just a question of, I don't have an answer, and everything I hold sacred is being up to overturned by that passage, and heavens to Betsy, what am I going to do next? And I have a question about whether I'm going to run off to the bishops and have the bishops tell me how to get around that passage. We're not here to get around. Graham read the passage this morning about St. Paul, though some things in his letters that are hard to understand, which the wicked and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. We are here to submit to God's righteousness. And God's righteousness is submitted to by your faith in him, not having a group of us Christians decide how it's going to be for you and give you a quarterly to study, a little chant to memorize and quote back. Find God and find righteousness in him and measure your faith in your righteousness. I mean, that's what St. James said. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. Your faith is shown by who you are. Have you become righteous? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the plan you laid and the stone you placed that we either in selfishness stumble over your son or in humility and faith are built into living stones in the temple that he's the cornerstone of. We'd ask that you'd bless us in him. In your son's name we pray. Amen.